I knew Elizabeth Taylor was about to dump Eddie Fisher in favor of Richard Burton soon after Cleopatra started filming in Rome. Because in 40 years in Hollywood, I've told the truth, though sometimes only in part for the sake of shielding someone or other. I wrote the story. This was in February, 1962, one week before the news burst like a bomb on the world's front pages. But Elizabeth, Burton, and I have something in common. Martin Gang, a top-notch attorney, has us as clients. He saw my column, as usual, before it appeared, and came on the telephone in a hurry. Oh, you couldn't print that, he said. It would be very embarrassing for me to sue you, since I represent all three. I was in Hollywood at the time, not in Rome, so I was wanting the first-hand information, the personal testimony which would be important in self-defense. I deferred to his judgment and kicked myself for doing it when the news from the Appian Way began to sizzle. I've known Elizabeth since she was nine years old, innocent and lovely as a day in spring. I liked and pitied her from the start, when her mother, bursting with ambition, brought her to my house one day to have her sing for me. Mrs. Sarah Taylor was an actress from Iowa who had appeared just twice on Broadway before she married Francis Taylor, who worked for his uncle, Howard Young, as a manager of art galleries on both sides of the Atlantic. When World War II came along, she was in raptures to find herself with a beautiful young daughter living right next door to Hollywood. Her husband came to manage the gallery in the Beverly Hills Hotel. Sarah Taylor had never gotten over Broadway. She wanted to have a glamorous life again through her child. She had the idea at first that Elizabeth could be turned into another Deanna Durbin, who had a glittering name in those days. Now sing for Miss Hopper, she commanded her daughter as soon as our introductions were over and we were sitting by the baby grand in my living room. Do you play the accompaniment? I asked. I can't. No, but she can sing without any. Elizabeth, it struck me as a terrifying thing to ask a little child to do for a stranger. But in a quivering voice, half swooning with fright, this lovely, shy creature with enormous violet eyes piped her way through her song. It was one of the most painful ordeals I've ever witnessed. I remembered seeing the four-room cottage, simple to the point where water had to be heated on the kitchen stove, in which Elizabeth was born. Little Swallows was its name, and it sat in the woods of her godfather, Victor Cazalet. His English estate, Great Swifts, was in Kent. She had a pony there and grew to love animals like her chipmunk, Nibbles, which ran up my bare arm when she brought it around on a visit one day. I screamed like a banshee, but Elizabeth was as patronizing as only a schoolgirl can be. It's only a chipmunk. It won't hurt you, she promised scornfully. You couldn't have wished for a sweeter child. She would certainly have been happier leading that simple life close to the woods and wild things to be tamed, maybe through all her years. But her mother had been bitten by the Broadway bug, and few women recover from that. Once the family was settled in Hollywood, Mrs. Taylor maneuvered the support of J. Cheever Cowden, a big stockholder in Universal Pictures, to get a contract for her daughter at that studio. 
Elizabeth was there for one year, but studio chieftains always resent anybody who's brought in over their heads through front office influence. They made sure the girl got nowhere fast. Her mother tried everything to find her another job, but it was her father who happened to land her at MGM through a chance remark he made to producer Sam Marks when they were patrolling their beat together as fellow air raid wardens. She was given a bit in Lassie Come Home, then blossomed in National Velvet with Mickey Rooney.